0: Hi, my name is Dami I'm the host of Binance Podcast. And for today's episode, I'm joined by crypto investor, thought leader, and CEO of Galaxy Digital, Mike Novogratz. Hi, Mike. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, Dami. How are you?
0: I'm good. And I hope I introduced you properly. Did I leave anything out?
1: Plenty. Only that I'm the oldest guy in crypto.
0: (laughs) Do you think so?
1: One of them. One of them.
0: No, but that's actually really great because I wanted to start by asking you about your journey into crypto and blockchain, because I think a lot of people knew you in the traditional finance space. So what inspired it? And what were the first few years like for you in the crypto and blockchain space?
1: Um, you know, I like everybody, somebody introduced me to Bitcoin. In this case, it was my my partner at my old firm who had met Wences Casares. Wences who runs Zappo, I think, has introduced more people to Bitcoin than anybody on the planet, or at least more rich people to Bitcoin than anyone on the planet. And my buddy asked me to look into it. And I went on Google. I never heard of it. and But I ran a currency speculating business. And I was like, wow, this is the perfect thing to speculate on. Cool technology. It's playing into the theme of the time. This was 2012, 2013. And so you had the financial crises and you had the European financial crisis. And so there was all this fear of quantitative easing. So right. there were a lot of people that worried about hyperinflation. So I said, well, it's an alternative to the dollar. The cypherpunks liked it, the libertarians liked it, like the, the people that wanted to live off the grid liked it, and the Chinese were buying it. And so I thought, ooh, it's gonna go higher. And so I originally bought it as a speculative investment. Um, I bought it at a hundred. Then I called a friend who had been, who would also run a macro hedge fund. He was kind of between jobs. Uh, Dan Moorhead, who runs Pantera, and I said, Dan, look into this thing. What do you think? And he called back two weeks later and he was like, dude, it's going to change the whole world. And Dan literally from that moment became a zealous, passionate advocate. And so we decided to buy more Bitcoin. Uh, So I have to credit Dan a little bit for the size of my initial stake. And I would have probably never been that public of a Bitcoin figure other than I gave a speech on a panel on a uh, macro stuff, and someone asked me about frontier currencies and instead of the Nigerian currency or uh, <laughs> the Tanzanian currency. I I talked about Bitcoin, kind of tongue in cheek, and I didn't know the press was there. And because the press was there, I was on the cover of the Financial Times the next day. You can find the article. I think it's October uh, 2013, where I talk about Bitcoin going up to a thousand, and and then all of a sudden I started getting asked all the time to speak about Bitcoin, which is also, which is fun, but also daunting, because back then you had to explain the computer science to it. I was constantly trying to really understand how the damn thing worked, but became kind of an unofficial spokesman. And that wasn't kind of chapter one wasn't that thrilling. I and mean, it was thrilling price action, but it wasn't Bitcoin wasn't this crypto wasn't this revolution. Um, and then chapter two came after I left my company Fortress. And crypto had gone sideways for a couple of years. We had the big run up to a thousand. The Chinese band did it, went all the way back down to 400, then to 200 and stayed there. I'm talking about Bitcoin. Ethereum hadn't even been launched yet right and i called another friend joe lubin who runs consensus and i wanted to talk to him about crypto because i had all this crypto stuff in my portfolio we owned part of bitstamp and zappo and corbett and had lots of venture bets and but they'd all kind of gone sideways and when i walked into his office in brooklyn uh in bushwick there was a real energy of revolution i'd known joe my whole my whole life and he'd always been really smart and thoughtful and forward thinking, but he wasn't a businessman at the time. Uh, He wasn't an entrepreneur. You know, he had worked in different businesses Uh, and I didn't see him as a pure revolutionary, but whoa, I walked in that office and I looked and they were like, we're going to disrupt the world and we're going to disrupt art and finance and IP and music. And they had all these things on the wall of how this decentralized, you know, revolution was gonna happen. And that's when I really got inspired. I was like, this is like religious zeal and these people aren't gonna give up. And it's fighting for the little guy. It's fighting for transparency. It's fighting for a more egalitarian system. Like there was a real pure spirit, which often gets lost in all the Lambo talk and yes. the crypto grows. And the, but at the core, when you meet Joe or Vitalik or freedom. Alex Marco, it's about freedom. It's about setting the structure up in a new way. And that really inspired me. And so then I, you know, I bought a bunch of Ethereum. It was very cheap. At that point, it was like less than a dollar. What I find in life is anything you buy cheap that goes up, once you start making money, you get a lot more interested in it. Yes. And, and so... Then I hired a couple of people and by the time 2017 happened, you know, I made a freaking fortune, which was fun that empowered me to do other things. Uh, I thought about doing a hedge fund and decided not to, and we came up with the idea of let's raise permanent capital and really invest for the long-term and what we think is going to be a transformational revolution, which is, you know, what it's becoming. Now, you know, I I said we were going to be the bridge between crypto and the institutional world because that like sounded like what we should do. When I thought about going back to work, whatever, I was 52 years old or 50, yeah, 52 years old, 53. And I had already run a big hedge fund and been a partner at Goldman Sachs. And I, I thought I'm only going to go back to the kind of chaos of full-time focus where you have people relying on you all the time. If I could do two things, I think I work with young people. There's a lot of young people in crypto. If I could, I mean, it really is a Gen, Gen Z millennial revolution in its core. I like to identify as Gen Z. Uh, <laughs> and I have that, yes. <laughs> if, if I could learn things. Right. And the the venture part of our business is fascinating, right? You sit with, you know, these DeFi founders and you're like, wow, cool stuff. And if I had something to add, and I thought what I had to add was this ability to translate what was happening into, into my old world, uh, as well as give guidance to some of the crypto companies and crypto friends that I've met about how, you know, the financial world works uh, and how they should think about their risk. And so that's what Galaxy's become. And now we have 200 people. We just announced a merger with BitGo. By the time we closed that merger, I think we'll be at close to 400 people.
0: Amazing. I mean, you've kind of brought up a lot of things I want to talk to you about. BitGo, that was a long
1: a answer. I'm sorry. I, was I,
0: I love long answers. I'm also like that, too. So no, it makes the conversation more interesting. The first thing I was going to say is that, yes, I should have added a crypto spokesperson to the introduction. But um, the second thing I wanted to, to talk about before we talk about Bitcoin, let's go back a little bit. Um, you came from a traditional finance background, um, and there are many people that are still in that space. Well, I would say it's traditional finance compared to, to the crypto space. How do you feel like the crypto industry is different or similar to the traditional finance industry, Wall Street?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. So, most of my career was as a macro trader. Macro traders bet using any instrument, interest rates, commodities, equities, okay. individual equities, on trends. Really, we bet on, you know, politics, economics, and what we think is going to be a trend, a trend in so- how society functions, a trend in how government functions, a trend in how markets move. And so, in some ways, macro guys are. Perfect guys in crypto and crypto is very macro, right? We're talking about Bitcoin as an inflation hedge or Bitcoin because there's a debasement of fiat currency. And so at least half of crypto is a macro story. There's a micro story too, right? okay, how are we going to rebuild the grid? If you want to think about it. how are we going to rebuild uh, this decentralized supercomputer to process and authenticate data, the web 3.0, however you want to call it. Um, that's a little bit more micro than macro, but understanding how it shifts. And so I think people from Wall Street who come from a macro thinking really translate well into, into crypto. The rest of it, I honestly think, you know, it's going to be a disruption, right? When I think of, I talk to guys who run banks all the time, and they've been very interested in crypto. And I like, dude, you guys were so wrong worrying about Bitcoin. <laughs> Bitcoin was an asset that you could buy and sell and trade and asset management to get your clients to, but it wasn't a threat to your, to your enterprise. DeFi on the other hand is going to bite it's your leg off.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then it's
1: gonna bite your hand off. And then it's going to like claw your nose off. Um, right. DeFi is coming right at their business. And so you're going to see them fight back. Oh, what? The banks are going to throw a lot of fun out there and they're going to get the regulators on their side. And, you know, people don't like to lose their living. And some of the banks are going to start their own DeFi incubator and try to really understand it and how can we, how can we participate? But, I think, you know, there's, there's lessons to learn from both sides and the smarter financial institutions. And quite frankly, I think the tech companies who are going to be one step ahead are going to try to hire as many crypto people and integrate, you know, where the future is going faster. So it's, it's hard to actually predict what it looks like in a few years.
0: Right. Um, I was reading one of your articles in Bloomberg. You speak, you know, you speak to a lot of people. So I had a good time reading up about you actually. So I have a lot of interesting questions. Um, But one thing that you said you were talking about, I think it was, you know, Galaxy potentially doing an IPO, Coinbase's IPO, all of that, which was a few few months ago. Um, But you said, this is not a fintech business. It's a crypto ecosystem business. And I really love that. Um, And I would love if you could expand on that. Why, what does that mean to you? And why did you say it?
1: Because if you think about what crypto means, at least to me, it means a decentralized revolution. That's what it means. And that's going to show up in places we haven't even thought of yet. Like a year ago, we had a group called Galaxy Interactive that was making lots of investments in things that are becoming big NFT companies atomic uh, green park mythical games but they weren't thinking of themselves exactly that way yet and we weren't thinking of that as a big part of our you know pnl street but the nft space is crypto it's can we transfer you know ip can we build new worlds on top of this blockchain virtual worlds the metaverse is going to be built on top of a blockchain and so that's part of the ecosystem that's not a, that's not finance in the traditional sense that's not sushi swap which is going to try to disrupt the nasdaq or the cme right Uh, or Uniswap, Uh, but it's a big part of the same idea of, Mm -hmm. can we build on this blockchain and create this peer-to-peer world? Uh, And so I think the TAM, the total addressable market of our space is really hard to figure out. It's big because you don't know what else, you know, you could see healthcare NFTs. And and so we're trying to hire the smartest guys and then make investments in the smartest companies that can help navigate that world. And part of our company's role is to take those lessons that we learn, and to bring our clients along on the journey. That's our banking clients, our sales and trading clients are asking uh, and most people go on the same journey. They start with Bitcoin, and they're like, oh, let me figure out Ethereum, and what else is out there? Yes. And then they're like, oh, Ethereum is pretty cool, but there's these other ecosystems that run faster. They're not as decentralized, right? The Binance Smart Chain is a version of Ethereum that's much less decentralized and much faster. And there's lots of great stuff being built on, right? And so for me as an investor, I think, hmm, there's momentum around this ecosystem. There's charismatic leader, there's investors' money, so they're going to continue to to follow. And we're doing all this innovation, which is really important for the whole ecosystem. Mm -hmm. In the long run, we'll regulators and the consumer allow less decentralized blockchains to be where the world gets built we'll see or will these less decentralized blockchains figure out a way that they need to decentralize uh and so i'm fascinated by the whole ballet of what's going on we try to invest agnostically uh you know like is there a, a charismatic leader, a, a great leadership? Is there a community building? Is there momentum? Can we make money for us and our clients? And do we think it's got long-term sustainability? Those are usually the checklist that I use before I put my money on anything. But I don't proclaim to be smart enough that I know how the whole thing's going to turn out.
0: I think that's one thing about the crypto space. There's no one person who knows everything. And I think we're always learning. I think that's what's really attractive, actually, about this industry. Uh, for people young and old, you're just discovering things every single day. Um, and new ways to utilize this technology. Um, We're talking about what you invest in, what you're interested in. I want to ask you about the acquisition of BitGo. Um, What inspired that? And can you tell us more about
1: it? Yeah, it's two things. One is crypto is really partly a financial mindset and partly a tech mindset. And and I'm a finance guy and a storyteller and I'm not a tech guy. Uh, And so there seemed to be just a natural marriage between East Coast and West Coast, uh, between engineering and and finance bros uh, and women. So that was part of it. Part of it was our clients were asking for custody. And this was a mistake I made. I originally thought, like in other parts of the financial market, you would custody not where you buy things. Like when you buy a bond from Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, you custody at Bank of New York. You don't custody at the place you buy it from. But in crypto, it was very different. And so we found ourselves losing some business because we didn't have our own custodian. By far, the most important piece was all of our businesses, from the consensus to Binance to you name them, are human capital businesses. And Binance has 60 world-class blockchain engineers. Uh, let alone a great team around them, and we don't. And I thought I've been a user of the blockchain, been a storyteller about it, I've been an investor in it, uh, but I haven't been a builder. And I think the next chapter for all of us is building on chain. And so coming soon, we will, you know, be much bigger participants on chain, and we will be contributing and building. And Bitcoin Wallet is, I think, is still the largest, It does the most transactions of any other wallet. You know, it, it services tons of people in the ecosystem. And so to me, that's going to be very exciting. But that really was it. It was a human capital acquisition. Mike Belshie a wonderful guy. He uh, has a dedicated team, and so um, listen, you don't integrate overnight, but hopefully in the next uh, year seamlessly as one company that's you know bigger and better. I also think there's so much momentum around the space that you're going to need to be bigger if you're going to play in the institutional space, a bigger balance sheet. I mean days like you know yesterday for me or last week when this plays, uh, when you have a crash, a literally crash in the in the market, it really helps to be well capitalized, uh, and I know. Companies Companies that weren't well capitalized, and they were literally hanging on by a by a hair from life or death. And you know, when you're well capitalized, you can take advantage of opportunities. You can, uh, and so I think bigger is going to help in the next five years.
0: Okay, um, so let's talk about this dip that we've seen. I mean, today's May 20th. Um, I think this podcast will be out in a few days. Um, I know you're quite active on Twitter and I'm sure you saw some of the hilarious memes and <laughs> what the, all the crypto newbies were I
1: love the crypto community because there was a lot of good gallows you.
0: <laughs> yes, I love it. It's actually really funny. A very funny part of uh, a very funny industry. Well, it's funny
1: unless you were one of the yes. 900,000 people that lost yeah. $9 billion in liquidating. So-, so that's
0: why I was going to ask you, what advice would you give to um, newbies and enthusiasts that are in panic mode. Um.
1: You know, the simple advice is this is an 80 ball instrument, 100 ball instrument. Right now, Ethereum ball is 130, 140. That's really, really risky stuff. You don't need to trade it with so much leverage. I know everyone wants to get rich quick. (laughs) Like everyone wants to get rich quick. I got a golden ticket. Especially
0: the millennials and Gen Z. We want our money quickly.
1: (laughs) We don't want to work 40 years. I get it. But the more leverage you take, the odds of you losing all your money and going back to the... as the meme said, flipping burgers at McDonald's go higher and higher. And so if there's one lesson, and I know like, you know, a lot of businesses out in Asia, including finances, you know, make a whole lot of money on leverage. So they don't get mad at me is people take less leverage because this is like, was a classic deleveraging, and it happened, you know, who knows why it happens. There's always a combination of things. People get too, too long. I was getting texts and calls yesterday from people I haven't seen in so long that I met in weird walks of life. Hey, what should I do with my crypto? I was like, well, a lot of pressure. <laughs> Everybody owns some crypto, right? And so the market got longer than everyone expected, right? There was a frenzy of buying. It was tax day in the US three days ago. So people have to sell to pay for tax. It was also like, but a year after a lot of people got in for the first time where they had long-term capital gains. So there was another reason to sell. Elon Musk came out and, you know, first punched Bitcoin in the nose with the, with the environmental concerns and then got in this whole Doge fight and, and, and there was a lot of, listen, I don't want to discredit the Shiba Inu community or the Doge community or, or any of the meme, meme coin investing communities, they have a place and they're oh, fun for people. People who made money. They're nihilistic. I don't think they're good for the more long-term sustainable project. And I know I'll get criticized like hell. And sometimes I even get death threats for saying it. Um, and I say that because I fundamentally believe that projects will need continued energy uh, for them to sustain any, any value. If You think about magic internet money, right? We're creating ecosystems, communities where people say, I'll oh, I'll value this because you value this, right? The classic technology in Bitcoin doesn't give it any, you know, value. We could fork it and call it Coin, and might not be worth so much. Small little family in Nigeria might bid the thing up, but- I like the national. (laughs) Um, but it's right the same technology forked. Right. Novo coin is probably going to tank. But so it's a social construct. Well, that same social construct exists around Doge people. And they've got their t-shirts and their funny memes and whatnot. Well, when you bring these things up to valuations, like you saw, there needs to be tremendous energy that keeps coming into the ecosystem before it falls. Mm-hmm. And if there's not real purpose, other than this kind of fun, nihilistic, this is our thing, the people. Then if there's not programming on top of it, if there's not, I think they will run out of gas and then bleed down. They might not go to zero because people get tribal and religious about this. And it's one of the most interesting things that I've seen in my journey through crypto Twitter and one of the scariest things. Like, I don't think it's healthy. This the blind tribalism of mm-hmm. people in their coins. And I put out something I think is objective. I'm not always right by any stretch. But if I think I put out something objective and it's if it's uh, not positive, if it's the Cardano community or the XRP army, they attack with a meanness and an anger and a vigor that, isn't healthy and it's the same thing we're seeing play out between trump and non-trump or and so i I really am concerned kind of globally that this isn't a healthy part of the community but it's real Uh it's real my advice to investors is you can play those trades as momentum trades, uh, just don't get greedy because the moment they run out of energy, there's nothing left. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the ecosystem like Ethereum, so many people building on it. So Ethereum is doing well right now because it's got DeFi being built on it and stable coins being built on it and uh, NFTs being built on it. Right? So there's this triple tailwind. Quite frankly, the same thing is happening with Binance Smart Chain, with the Terra Luna ecosystem, with Sam Backman's Freed and Solana and his ecosystem and so now there's the main one in Ethereum and then there are these, these other versions that do similar things uh, that people have a chance to play mm-hmm. and they're being well financed with one so um, I think those are very credible bets uh, like I said in the long run we're going to decide is it decentralized enough right. Uh, but right now those bets have their finance they got charismatic really smart leaders I mean you know the probably the three best entrepreneurs in the space are CZ you know Doe from Korea and, uh, and Sam Bankman-Fried right they're on fire and so so I'm not saying you can only buy Bitcoin or Ethereum, but make sure the tokens or the, key, the communities you're participating in have substance to them, have purpose to them, right? We can't all have stores of value. Otherwise, what happens is everything's a store of value. We'll create our own and the prices collapse because there's just yeah. too much. So I, I can't dictate what people participate in by any stretch. I do think the chance of having a store of value, like a global store of value that people recognize. Um, goes higher if people put more thought into how they invest mm-hmm. and I know that's as, not as much fun as you know doge to the moon or Shiba Inu I love the fact that Vitalik what a freaking rock star uh, they gave 8 billion dollars at Shiba Inu and he gave a billion to to India didn't even take the tax deduction and he burned the other 7 billion yeah. <laughs> like, I, just want, I don't want any part of your games and part of that is they're, in his mind this is a serious revolution right it's supposed to be fun and joyful like everything in life but it's a serious revolution and the the gamesmanship and God, I, I know that I'm going to get just my hate mail after this podcast, <laughs> but I do think, you know, I want to kind of stay on that a little bit. It's the reason I got involved and, and what has inspired me is so many people building a system that they think. Uh,
0: um, I love that you actually said that because I was going to ask about like some advice, that you, the wisest advice that you've ever received, but I feel like you've touched on it, but something that has been a key trend or key topic, not a trend um, in 2021 is in- institutional adoption of crypto, right? Um, um, and that's what some people are speculating has driven the price of Bitcoin, for example. Um, how do you think it will continue to shape the industry and why is it so important?
1: So global wealth, about $440 trillion is $1.7 trillion, maybe $2 trillion add in the coin bases and whatnot. And so we're about a little less than half a percent. Of the only way the crypto community grows and piece of the pie. Right? We're being lucky right now that central banks are pouring so much money and that whole pie is growing. Crypto's piece has gone from here to here. It's still a is piece of it is to, to work with the system. And it's. I know it sounds counterintuitive because crypto is a little bit like this. It's the, it's the middle finger to the system in some way. You have to bring people into the tent. That's how the tent, the ecosystems grow. That's how the value grows. So I see my job as a guy that's shoving people into the tent. And they're not all going to come in in the same way, right? They're not going to come in coding their own new crypto or buying Bitcoin on a you know Coinbase wallet or a, or a bread wallet or setting up a VPN so they can trade with Binance and play in DeFi, right? Some are going to come in through ETFs or funds or... And so getting the institutional world to pay attention brings in capital to the space and brings in credibility to the space, brings in talent to the space. It's shocking who I can hire these days. I'm real close on a hire, which I hope to announce in a while, that people are going to like spin their head three times on their on their body and say, well, how, what, what just happened? People want to be in our industry now. That yeah. didn't exist in a, f- a few years back. I'm out hiring Goldman Sachs and Google in some of our young guys uh, and women. Uh, and we're trying to hire more and more women. The That's where the institutional part comes in and it's not going to be, there'll be compromises and it's not going to happen overnight. I tell people, they're like, well, isn't it hypocritical? Like Europe, you talk about crypto going after the rent takers and going after the banks and you just set up a goddamn bank. We are really aware that we're a bridge. We're a bridge between institutions and crypto, but we're also a bridge between an old way of doing business and a new way of doing business. And that is not going to happen in a month, not going to happen in a It happened probably in a decade, but it will happen uh, slowly but surely.
0: I want to ask you a bit more about um, outside of Galaxy, just kind of the things you do personally. Um, I know that you're a big advocate for reform and social justice. How do you think that crypto and blockchain can can play a part in aiding this? I think
1: if you stay true to that original message, it's like, we like to think we're systems changers. And if you try to have a North Star of justice, of fairness, uh, that just helps alone. If you start vibrating that way, uh, treating people fairly, you know, when you see something like our criminal justice system, which is just so demoralizing, it is so mean spirited, it is so ugly. uh, And it's, so unfair and so listen there's some plans like if we could put a blockchain in the prison systems that would so when people do their rounds and like there'd be a database that couldn't get changed and so did the guy actually get fed I mean really base shit that doesn't happen the way it should um being around criminal justice system is horrible it's like an f and so could you create some you know record keeping system that would at least uh right now if you called your favorite state you name it and ask well how many people actually have in there in those how long have they been? What are they, you know, it's almost impossible to get good data. Mm-hmm. And so we have a system of throwaway people. Uh, that's horrific. We've started hiring formerly incarcerated at Galaxy and a couple of our favorite and smartest and best people spent over 10 years in uh, in prison. You know, I fundamentally believe you're not your worst moment. You can grow and you can learn and you can come out a, a beautiful soul and contribute to society. And so we should set up a system that helps people on that journey instead of traumatizes them and make, you know, most people coming out of the prison system, today are coming out battered and traumatized not healed and I'm completely recognizing that you're often in prison because you've done something uh, and hurt someone you have broken some rules you have this is most people that spend long times aren't in there for marijuana right they're in there for having done bad things people who do bad things are traumatized before they do. traumatize more people so we have this trauma engine that we need to heal and so if we approach uh, approach people get through their trauma so taxpayers loving uh, we're just a much better place you know is there a link to crypto there's not a direct link, but there's a spiritual link, uh, which is about systems change.
0: Yeah. Um, Let's talk, you mentioned earlier about the environment and that definitely links into the crypto space because one of the key conversations a lot of people have is, you know, the effect of of Bitcoin, for example, on the environment. What ways can key players in the industry continue to address this? And are there any noteworthy innovations that you're inspired by?
1: Yeah, really important question, not just for Bitcoin, but for our whole industry, but specifically (laughs) for Bitcoin, because we're in the crosshairs right now. Elon Musk pointed it out and the whole world's saying it. first thing I'd like to say, loud and clear is, this is a global problem, not a crypto problem, right? We want you we'll to scream that loud and clear. The good news is it's happening. In seven or eight years, all electricity will be green because the cost of solar, the cost of wind, the cost of geothermal is collapsing. And that will almost uh, uneconomic polar, uh, or anything that's dirty. Mm-hmm. And so that's the long-term good news. The short-term news is, let's specifically pick on the crypto business, right? Things that are valuable use electricity, right? YouTube, I read this YouTube uses two and a half percent of all global electricity. It seemed crazy. I've looked at the internet like seven times and unless uh, hair dryers use more electricity than, than, than Bitcoin at this point. But think about YouTube. YouTube is an unbelievable global resource. I pray at the altar of YouTube. Like I would hate to say, we're not going to use YouTube. We're not going to invest in YouTube because it uses electricity. And a lot of electricity is dirty electricity. And this needs to be seen as a kind of global problem, not a problem. Mm -hmm. That's, said, pressure. We should do the same thing that lots of industries are doing. We're going to make a commitment to go carbon neutral by 2040 or 2050 companies. And you'll see, they're going to make that commitment themselves for galaxy at one point. Um, and I think people are going to find creative ways to address the issue. If it's sequestration, right? There's carbon capture businesses, which are pretty cool, but very complicated, right? There are these big machines that suck carbon out of the sky. Uh, they function around cities or places where dirty electricity is very effective, uh, costly, but we think carbon's costly. There is planting trees. Funny thing about planting trees is though you got to plant trees in the right, actually it might make things worse. So a tree is not a tree is not a tree. And so there's a real expertise in this field developing. And I think you're going to see our whole industry. And I know that because I'm talking to tons of people in it, you know, start to say, Hey, this is how we're going to do our part. But I think we have to fight back and say, it's not just our part. We're a small part of a big thing. Like I want to see the financial services industry. You know, mm-hmm. it's easy for, JP Morgan to criticize crypto, they're the biggest lender to ExxonMobil. I'm like, dude. Okay, so.
0: So I know a lot of, lot of the people listening are going to want me to ask this question. Um, can you tell us what your favorite asset is? And maybe, you know, some of the top assets that you've bought that have brought the most returns.
1: Um, those are, I, in some ways, two different questions. Like, I really am a believer that every portfolio should have both Bitcoin and Ethereum in it. Um, Ethereum's had a huge run this year, Bitcoin not as much. But I think both of those are going to be successful long-term projects. There's big energy putting into both of those. You're not going to make the great return. You know, that you might make in some smaller coins as quick? I think over a Multi year period, Bitcoin can go to 500,000. And so from 40, that's a whole lot of turn. Ethereum, it's harder to put a target on, right? It's a big network effect. Bitcoin doesn't really have that many competitors in the lane they're participating in, right? They've got a PR game now with the ESG stuff to kind of overcome. But I see this movement of Bitcoin being a store of value. Ethereum has real competitors. Uh, and so it's a little bit of a harder bet. I just think it's by far the biggest ecosystem. Um, I like Terra Luna. You know, Doe from from Korea is is a fiercely good entrepreneur. Uh, it's grown fast. Uh, he's innovated well. You know, I, you know anything that Sam Bankman Fried has touched has been wildly hot. I've participated in some, not all of them. I wish I was kind of on the Sam train earlier. Um, and CZ's stuff, but you know, other coins, uh WuCoin. First time I've talked about WooCoin, Coin, it's a, some really smart guys in China, um, educated in the US, Carnegie Mellon, that have a business that's a little bit like Alameda, and now they're doing their own exchange. And so the Wu Exchange, I think, has it's one of those things where there's not a big market cap to it now. And so if it does succeed, it can be one of these coins that go from 60, 70 cents to, to who knows where. And so, yeah, I don't love to give small cap advice because, you know, um, listen, I love the DeFi space in general. I guess I said, every, especially it's students. Portfolio should have some Bitcoin. Should have some Ethereum. It should also have a basket of DeFi, right? Mm-hmm. Maker, Rune, Compound, Avi. And again, I'm picking those kind of original, you know, Generation One DeFi. Uh, people got used to fast. I know there's new versions of those coming out on these other chains. Uh, I think Rune's interesting because this idea of connecting chains and having that work uh, could be a game changer. So those are all in my portfolio. Every name, every name I talked about, we're long some.
0: <laughs> okay, great. So I know you, you recently. Spoke about you know Galaxy Digital preparing for an IPO, and I know you can't tell us details about that, but I know you also talked about the Coinbase IPO quite highly. Um, do you think moves like this are only influential in, let's say, the US crypto market, or is this something that could influence the entire crypto space? And do you see you know more companies going public? And why do you think it's important?
1: Well, listen, the in the long run, company is going to go public through some token launch, right? right? Like I think that's where we hope we're all heading, that we have the same decentralization that we talk about even in our own companies. In the shorter run, I think the Coinbase cycle was really good, right? Because it brought new people into the tent, right? I keep talking about how do we get more people into the tent? How do they get their exposure to what we're doing? We as a collective community, um, you know, people ask me, do I think I compete with Brian Armstrong only that we both have bald heads, you know, there's some businesses we compete, but all of us that are building crypto business are really pioneers. And so there's a beautiful collaboration slash competition. I see almost everyone in the business more of collaborators than as competitors. We're only all going to succeed if we go from a half a percent of global wealth to three to four to five percent of global wealth, right? If we go from a half percent of global wealth to a quarter percent, we've wasted a lot of energy. So we're making a bet. In order for the bet to succeed, we need a lot of guys with shovels and picks and energy and computer science skills and entrepreneurial skills. And so I do think what Brian did, you know, and and his team at Coinbase was really important because it opened the eyes to the public market investors. We went public in Canada originally, uh, and we're going to redomicile to the US and then, you know, they call it an IPO. It's a relisting. The great liquidity in the world is in the US and it's important to, I want to make what we're doing available to that grand group of US investors. And even foreign investors will trade in the US, but they won't trade in a lot of other small markets. And so that's where the liquidity pool happens. But like I said, I think in four or five, Five six years I don't know how long people won't go public to a traditional IPO they'll do it security token through a decentralized system.
0: Okay, awesome. It's my thought. Thank you for sharing that. So I mean we're coming to the end of the podcast and I want to ask you something not crypto related but still about you. Uh, I read up that you're a huge wrestling fan and you have a like you have some experience in that. Can you tell me a bit more about how you got into wrestling and also like your um, beat the streets program?
1: Yeah, wrestling is a, uh, a sport that when you start young if you're good at it you like it and if you're not good at it, you hate it because <laughs> It's like beating some other guy up. And I was a kind of skinny, scrawny kid, probably too small to play football. So my father put me in wrestling and I happen to be decent at it. And it's a really unique culture. I try to get one of my sons, he's like, Dad, why would I do that? It's too hard. I mean, it's really a brutal sport. You go, you starve yourself, you work out like a maniac, you get beaten up all the time. No one wins all the time. And you've got to teach yourself how to get up your ass and get back in the ring. It creates toughness and discipline. And those two traits are the two most important traits to leadership. And so, you know, like most wrestlers, I know people, when I identify myself, I identify myself as a wrestler before I do as a, as an investor. And I think that's a natural trait of guys that really wrestle. Uh, And so when I made a little money, I thought, how do you give back? And I started this charity with a bunch of guys called Beat the Streets, where we set up wrestling uh, teams in, in inner city schools in New York. Now we have 160 of them, I think. Now it's in 13 cities in Philly and all over the place. And so that's been fun, that little, and, and again, it wasn't, I need to create great wrestlers. It's how can I create leaders? How can we create an army of heroes and waiting guys that will do the right thing? Uh, when I saw these Asian women getting attacked and people just standing and walking, watching in every bit of my instinct, I thought, one of my goddamn wrestlers were there, they would have run and smacked the guy or yelled or done something. You teach people not to be scared. That's how leadership comes. And so at least I hope they would have. And I hope I would have. And so that's what I did. And, you know, what I also learned in philanthropy, and here's the fun secret, you know, the more you give, the more you get. And so. One of my like top five highlights of life was I walked in the opening ceremonies of the London Olympics with Kobe Bryant into the stadium as part of the U.S. wrestling, wrestling delegation. And I never did my charity work thinking, well, if I do if I do charity work, they'll let me walk in the opening ceremonies. But through getting engaged in wrestling, I got engaged in our national team and they asked me to support the national team. And I got engaged with the athletes and became the team, team leader, it's called. And you're an official member of the Olympic team. Of course, my kids, they always want to put an asterisk. He really wasn't an Olympian. He he was just the team leader. You know, the giving in life takes you to places that are in some ways so much more memorable than even what you live in, you learn and work. And so that's my last pitch. The more you give, the more you get.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And it's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, Thank you, Mike, for your time today. And thank you to everyone who's listening to the Binance Podcast. Until next time. Thank you, Mike. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Bye.